Welcome to Sports Spectrum, the sports and faith podcast that brings Jesus back into the conversation. Here's your host, Jason Romano. This episode of the Sports Spectrum Podcast, part two of our conversation with former Texas offensive coordinator Greg Davis, is sponsored in part by Compassion International, compassion.com slash sports spectrum. That's the website to go to. 150,000 children are choosing to follow Christ in the last year alone because of the great people like you sponsoring with Compassion International. They do it right. Compassion works. I mean, you always want to know what to do. Where am I going to send my money? Who am I going to sponsor? And who do I trust? And Compassion is a place that you can trust. You will never regret $38 a month. They're the most trusted child development ministry in the world. 1.8 million children around the world are being released from poverty because of the great work being done at Compassion International. You can make a difference in a child's life. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Sponsor a child today. Today's podcast guest is Greg Davis, former Texas offensive coordinator, part two of our conversation with Greg. And as as I mentioned in part one, he was the former Texas offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach from 1998 to 2010. He retired from coaching in January of 2017. He helped lead Texas to the 2005 national championship game, coaching guys like Vince Young, Colt McCoy, and Chris Sims during his tenure at the University of Texas. He also had stints at the University of Iowa, North Carolina, Georgia, Arkansas, Tulane, and Texas A&M. In part two of our conversation with Coach Davis, we talk about his journey to coaching and finding that guy that he can just kind of follow in the footsteps and kind of follow along with. And that guy was Mac Brown, the former head coach at the University of Texas. And we hear a great Mac Brown story in part two, which is probably my favorite part of the podcast. But we also talked to him about that 2005 season and that Rose Bowl game, what he remembers about that Rose Bowl game. That's the famous Rose Bowl game where Vince Young and Texas squared off against Reggie Bush and Matt Leiner at USC, many calling it the greatest college football game of all time. Greg talks about why that is the best football game he's ever been a part of. And we also talk about losing. In 2009, he lost the national championship game to Alabama. That's when Colt McCoy was the quarterback, and he got hurt and ended up not playing for most of that game. And just the difference between winning the national championship and losing the national championship and how you can learn from both experiences. So I really enjoyed talking to Coach Davis. Again, it was such good stuff that we didn't want to cut any of it out, so we made it into a two-part conversation. So here he is. Greg Davis, former college football coach, former Texas offensive coordinator. Part two of our conversation with Greg right here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Take a listen. You and Mac Brown were kind of linked for a while there, certainly at Texas, where you were Mac Brown's offensive coordinator for 13 seasons. Tell me about that first time you came in contact with Coach Brown and um, just what drew you to him and I guess how you guys formed that relationship together. Okay. Uh, Mac and I actually worked together for 18 years uh, total. And, uh, yeah, 13 at Texas, you're exactly right. But uh, I was was, uh, at Texas A&M, and Mac had just got the job at uh, the uh, quarterback job at LSU. And uh, he called and he said, I'd like to bring our offensive coaches over and visit with y'all and watch spring training, if that's okay. 
Jackie Sherrill was our head coach. Yeah. We were throwing the ball probably more than most of that time frame, and that would have been um, probably 79. And so Mike came over with his offensive coaches, and they uh, they stayed three or four days, and, and uh, you know, they would – they would go back to the hotel and and at night and work and uh, then they'd show up at lunch and you know we'd ha- kind of had our business done by lunch and we would visit for two or three hours and then go to practice and then so that's the first time I had ever met him but we had some very similar ideas and then as you know as luck would have it. Uh, we were recruiting, he was recruiting uh, southwest Louisiana into Texas, and I was recruiting southeast Texas into Louisiana, so we had some crossover times in recruiting where we would see each other and bounce ideas off each other. And uh, So uh, he, uh, when he left LSU, he, uh, they offered me his job which I did not take. Jerry Stovall was the head coach then. Mm. And, um, but I called Mac and, uh, I said, man, I appreciate, I appreciate that you would go to the, go to the head coach as you were leaving and say, this is a guy you should talk to. And he said, well, I, you know, a minute, believe it. So when he went to Tulane, um, as the head coach, I was still at A&M and, uh, and he convinced me to go to Tulane, which tells you he's a pretty good recruiter for A&M to Tulane. And, uh, but, uh, he said, Greg, if you, uh, if you come to Tulane, uh, uh, you'll be the next head coach here. Uh, and, uh, he said, because we'll get this thing turned around. And, and, uh, so, uh, we, Three years later, we had the uh, first winning season that Tulane had had in a long time, and he got the North Carolina job, and I took over. Unfortunately, uh, we could not sustain that one-year success, and uh, so um, as he was struggling at North Carolina, especially early in his time there, um, I was at Tulane for four years, and then Arkansas, and then uh, I was at Georgia with Ray Goff. And so they have now, he's now turned it around at North Carolina. And he said, uh, um, hey, why don't you come back? You know, why don't you come back and join us and be my offensive coordinator and call the plays? And so, so that we did. We had two great years, I think two 11 and one years. And then he walked in one day and he said, hey, uh, the Laws Dodds wants to talk to me. What do you think? And I said, walk over there if you have to. <laughs> and he said, he said, what do you mean? And uh, he said, you know, we're we're pretty good here. We're 11-1, 11-1. We're in, and uh, I said, coach, is just different. And uh, he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you, you know I grew up in that state. And, yeah. And I said, it's just different. I mean, that. Everything is about football there. And so <laughs> Mac tells this story. <clears throat> you may have even heard it when uh, he was on the interview with uh, Coach Rawl. He said, Coach, what what makes Texas such a great job? And Coach Rawl said, well, son, 
there's probably four to five million people that every morning wake up and the first thing they think about is Texas football. And he said, but I'm going to tell you, that's what makes it hard too. <laughs> and that's right. you know. So, uh, so anyway, we, we went to Texas we had, uh, we had 13 great years and, yeah. and, uh, got to coach a Heisman trophy winner and, uh, couple of others that in my opinion probably should have been and it was fun it was a lot of fun I was in my home state um and um so something that I will always cherish Mac of course uh, is now an analyst a pretty good one actually at ESPN <laughs> uh we our paths crossed a few times before I, I left there um this is a podcast so we have the opportunity to tell great stories which is what I love so why don't you tell us one of one of your favorite Mac Brown stories? I mean, eighteen years is a long time, and it's probably hard to pinpoint one. Uh, but maybe you can come up with one that that really kind of uh, either makes us laugh, or makes us think, or makes us you know kind of look at him in a, in a, in a in a way that maybe we couldn't before. But tell us your favorite your favorite Mac Brown story. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, well there. 18 years is a long time. So <laughs> there's is. been many, you know, there, uh, there's been many. And, um, my favorite funny Mac Brown story. Okay. And Jason, if he doesn't like this, I'm going to blame you. <laughs> okay. So fair enough. This is my fault, Mac. I asked the question. <laughs> so you get ready. I'm ready. I will not take the heat for this. <laughs> so, uh, we were uh, we had things we we had things turned around at Texas. I don't think we'd won the national championship yet, but we were we, we were being mentioned as a team that you know pretty consistently playing pretty good ball. And we go to Kansas, and um, and it had been snowing, and and Kansas was not a real good team, uh, but. But they were playing better. Mark Mangino was there, and, and, and they were they were beginning to get it turned. This was right before they went to the Orange Bowl. Yeah. Uh, Mark did get it turned, and so uh, and and so all of our guys. I think ninety five percent of our players were from Texas. I mean, we didn't have guys that played in the cold. I mean, you know, we played in the heat. <laughs> That's right. You know, when you came to Austin in the summer and it was one hundred and three, it was to our advantage. Yeah. Uh, and so he he was worried. I mean, it was about 31 degrees at game time. The snow had been plowed off to the side, and it was a crystal clear day. And we went out for the warm-up, and he came back in. And, guys, I'm worried. I mean, in the coaches, I'm worried. One, our guys weren't bouncing around very much. You know, it's Kansas. It's, you know, Oklahoma was a week ago, and, it's cold. I tell you what I'm going to do. And y'all don't have to do this, but I'm not going. I'm going out without a coat. I'm, I'm going to take my coat off. I'm going to make a point during the pregame talk that uh, you know it's all a state of mind, and I dang sure don't want you sitting over here huddled like a bunch of cows, you know, under your sideline jackets. And so I leave to go to the press box. So I. I hear Mac tell that to the coaches. I later find out, you know, that was his pregame. You know, you know, you've 
state of mind we're going to be tough and all this and so you know I don't want you huddling over there so so we go out and uh, we uh, they flip the coin and they win and they take the ball and they promptly go about nine plays 80 yards it's seven nothing Kansas Oof. so uh, you know their fans are excited and, and so uh, they kick off to us and they kick it out of the end zone. We take over at the 20 at that time. And, and so Chris Sims is our quarterback. He walks out there and on the first play, he throws a three-step hitch and drills their corner between the numbers. Mm. I mean, the ball couldn't, he could not have dropped it. I mean, it, it stuck. <laughs> and he walked in from about 20 and it's 14 to nothing. And my hot chocolate's not cold yet. <laughs> and I hear Mac over the headset turn to our equipment manager, Chip Robinson, and say, dang it, Chip, get me a coat. If we're going to play bad, at least I'm going to be warm. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is great. That is great. Did you win the game at least? Well, oh, 56 to 14. There you go. So that was the only points they scored. <laughs> That's a, that was it. So you proceeded to go it. on a 56 nothing run, and <laughs> Coach Mack got warm. <laughs> yeah. So uh, That is a great story. But uh, Well, if he yells at me, uh, if he yells about that story, then I'll take the heat. How's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you're going to have to. And then he tells this story that, of course, it's cute, but it, this is exactly what happened. We're, we're getting – we're getting ready to play USC and we're on the field and I had a, you know, coaches are have superstitions and, and uh, one of my superstitions was when we got out on the field, I never looked at the opponent team during warmups. Right. You know, I, I never, I never turned around and looked at them. Yeah. And uh, I know it had nothing to do with the outcome of the game, but that, I didn't do it. But Mac on the other hand, Mac loved to look at him because uh, a lot of times, you know, later he would say, hey, you remember Jason? We tried to recruit him out of uh, Tyler, Texas, you know, number 42. I saw him over there loosening up. Who? I think we were right about him, you know, or he. Anyway, he, he did. <clears throat> so we're in warm-up, and he grabs me and he says, have you seen their team? I, there's a reason they're number one. <laughs> I said, Coach, turn around and look at yours. Ours looks pretty good, too, now. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, he said, yeah, you're right. This should be a heck of a ball game. So, Well, it was, and I was just going to pivot to that game because I think if we we're going to have a former assistant coach of Texas on during that 2005 season that you guys won the national championship. You mentioned Vince Young earlier in the conversation. That game, it, it goes down in, in, in college football lore as one of the greatest games ever played. I mean, they're doing documentaries on it. I think NFL Network and, and certainly ESPN has covered this game in a way, even looking back now 13 years later. What comes to mind when I mention that Rose Bowl? I mean, you, you mentioned that story, which is fantastic, but mm -hmm. maybe just the game itself and how it played out and Vince Young, of course, having the game of his life and scoring the winning touchdown. I'm going to ask a couple questions here. I'm not supposed to do this. They teach you in Broadcasting 101 to just ask one question. So I'm going <laughs> to ask two questions. First, is that the best college football game you've ever been a part of? And then secondly, 
tell us about that game and kind of what comes to mind when you think back throughout and how that game played out. Okay. Uh, it is the best game uh, I've ever been a part of. It. And, and before some fans would say, well, what about, you know, this Oklahoma game or when I was at A&M, what about this Texas game where y'all beat Texas? Uh, one of the reasons is because of the stage it was on. I mean, it was uh, the number one and number two team in August. I think I'm right in saying this, Jason. Yeah. The, the the number one team and two team in August was the number one and two team at the end of the year. And I remember walking in after a ball game and USC's playing Notre Dame and it's on in our locker room. Now, we've just won. And so when we're coming in, our equipment guys turned on that ball game in our locker room and our guys were pulling for USC. And that was the Bush push, you know, yeah. push Leonard into the end zone. Yes. Well, you're no sports fan. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Our guys go crazy. Hmm. Um, so, so the fact that it was uh, for the national championship in an unbelievable setting, um, uh, and if you haven't ever been to the Rose Bowl, you need to try to put that on your bucket list. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was. Um, so what I remember about the game is, uh, you know, first of all, um, at the 10-year anniversary, uh, a guy called and said, Coach, can we talk about that game? And I said, sure. And uh, he told me, Jason, so I, I'm repeating this. I, I can't fact check this or I didn't fact check it. Yeah. But he told me out of the 22 starters, or excuse me, out of the 44 starters, 22 for Texas and 22 for SC, and they all wasn't seniors, obviously. Right. But out of those 44 guys, like 30 guys played in the NFL. And I... Like I said, I didn't fact check it, but uh, based on our team, that's pretty close. That's a probably. pretty good track record of how good, the, how good the players were in that game. Yeah. So, so it was a great setting. It was great players. It was a game that I, I remember my son, you know, who coached for right at eighteen years before he got out, and he called before the ball game and. Um, he said, Dad, gosh almighty, I want y'all to win so bad. And I said, well, I do too. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, but really and truly, make it a great game. I mean, that's, he said, there's so much, so many times when all the hype and it's a dud. Yeah. And uh, so, so anyway, it was a great setting. It was a great game against two great universities that had been successful, two coaches that uh, – had similar styles. You know, I think Pete and Mac both uh, very uh, gifted in talking to the media, very gifted in recruiting, uh, very uh, an air of uh, youth about them, young kid about them, where, you know, a, not that they wasn't serious about it. I mean, but, you know, so it was, there was everything was set. Uh, the um, the game itself was, uh, you know, I remember a couple of things. I, I remember 
uh, well, I remember more than a couple, but I remember Reggie breaking loose and trying to pitch the ball. And that was like kind of our first break in the game mm-hmm. because they they kind of got started quicker than we did. And he, he was running down the field and had just made 30 yards or so. And as he was going down, he tried to pitch the ball back to one of his teammates, and we got on it. Mm-hmm. That led to our first touchdown. Um and kind of let our guys know, okay, hey, they're pretty good, but we're pretty good. We're, this is this is going to be a pretty good game. Um, the next thing I, that I really remember about the game, and I think your fans will enjoy this, and this is absolutely the truth in the way this happened. Gene Chiswick, who's also works now on TV, yeah. Gene was our defensive coordinator. And Gene sat right beside me in the press box. And we were two coordinators that worked from the box. And he sat right beside me. And when we made the fourth down stop, when we made the fourth, and and Gene was not not a guy, let me lay the the picture out. Gene and I were both guys that sat right side by side each other. And you probably could not have told we were for Texas. I'm totally serious. Uh, if when we were in the booth, we were very unanimated. We were very analytical. We were very uh, so. In most times, if if the cameras panned up to the booth. Jez and I were sitting there side by side. It looked like two radio announcers. <laughs> but when we made that stop, he jumped out of his chair, took his headset off, threw him on the table, and looked at me and said, we just won the national championship. And I'm thinking, you know, there's a little work left here, Chiz, uh, because we just stopped him on fourth down. We got to go. I mean, we got to go score. And so, uh, so anyway, we do go score, and, and, and we win, and everybody's happy. And Chiz, uh, Chiz and I are in the elevator coming down, and I said, do you realize what you did? That when we made the fourth down stop, you jumped up, which you don't ever do. You threw your headsets down, which you don't ever do. And you said, we just won the national championship. And he said, Greg, had you been watching the game? And I said, well, yeah. He said, they hadn't stopped the big dog all day. They wasn't going to stop him in that drive. <laughs> so great. So well, let me those ask you, are stories. I, I love it. I mean, there, we could talk all day about just probably, but just about that Rose Bowl game. But I, I have a question that's maybe a little different than uh, maybe you've heard before from that game. Success is such a great thing, obviously, being national champions and, you know, you get the ring and, and nobody wants that taken away. You know, the banners are up there and everybody talks about that year, I'm sure, whenever somebody comes in contact with you from Texas. But what's the toughest part about having success and having a season like that? Is there a tough part? Uh, well, yeah, there is. And I can best illustrate it with a story about Daryl Raw. <clears throat> and so we're flying back after the game and coach Royal is sitting across the aisle from me. Now you have to understand, I grew up in Texas. Coach Royal was the man. I mean, so when I would tell my parents 
I had dinner with Coach Rawl, they would say, no, you're kidding. Really? You didn't. I mean, I mean, he was the guy. And so he's across the aisle from me. And so we're, we get to that point in the flight where the, uh, pilot says, okay, you know, put your laptops away and, uh, uh, seat backs up. We're making our final descent in Austin. Well, there had not been a lot of sleep the night after the game. And, um, so, and then you, you get up early because you have to go to, uh, another awards presentation and, uh, then you go get on a plane. So I had been kind of trying to doze in the, in my seat and coach Rawl, when they make that announcement, we raise up and he looks across the aisle and he said, well, boy, you checked off the last thing on the list. <laughs> and I said, excuse me, coach. And he said, well, when you come to Texas, they give you a list of things that you got to do. You checked off the last thing on the list last night. And I said, wow, coach, you know, that means a lot. And he said, but now let me tell you, when this plane touched down, they're going to give you another list. And they do. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a great life story. It's a great story for everybody in sports. Uh, Businessmen, you close a big deal. Uh, it ain't over, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, um, so, uh, and Coach Roll had that way of telling little stories that just were so apropos. So that, that that's the hardest thing is yeah. trying to maintain, uh, and, but I'll say this, uh, I'd rather fight to have maintained it than <laughs> not ever got there. Right. Absolutely. And I remember Coach Dabo Sweeney telling the story that, you know, even when they won the national title a few years ago, that it wasn't, this wasn't going to be the greatest thing that happened to them in their life. And it was oh, something, yeah. something to yeah. that effect. And that was hard, obviously, in that moment when you just won the national title and he's in the locker room telling his players, this isn't going, don't let this be the greatest thing that happens in your life because he's so focused on people and things that expand mm-hmm. past the football field. I thought that was a real good testimony yeah. as well uh, max said the same thing Jesse. he did yeah he told he he told the players in the don't let this define your life yeah be a better husband be a better father be a better citizen of the world don't let this be the defining moment of your life which i thought was pretty awesome it's a good lesson uh, just a couple more questions here I, i'd be remiss if i didn't ask about oh nine you mentioned it earlier mm-hmm. in, the, in the show as well. Uh, that's a season where so much uh, good happened. And then at the end, and, and, and Colt McCoy mm-hmm. gets hurt and you lose eventually to Alabama for the national title. I wonder, sort of comparing and contrasting, you win it in 05 and you lose a heartbreaker in 09. What did you, what did you learn? What did you take away from, from losing, I guess? Uh, maybe it's the same thing that it shouldn't define you, but what did you take away from being on the, on the losing end of the national championship as opposed to winning it? You know, the, the first of all, I have to tell a, a cult story, please. Um, one of the best guys I've ever met, by the way, in my time at ESPN was Colt McCoy. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would be shocked if you would not have said that. Yeah. Well, 
you know, he gets hurt early and obviously can't play the rest of the game. And, and, uh, so when I, when I talked to my mother later, uh, after the ball game, she said, you should be so proud. And I said, what are you talking about, Ma? I mean, we lost. And, uh, she said, but she said, how many kids have you ever heard after a win say, you know, I'd like to give God the credit, you know, it, I said, well, I've heard that a lot, sure, you know. And she said, Colt said it after the lost. Hmm. And I said, do what? So evidently, and I never saw it, but evidently they grabbed him at some point after the game, and he made reference that, you know, all things work together for those who trust him. And... Yeah. I thought, oh my gosh, what a powerful, powerful witness that in the lowest moment of a young man's life, uh, that he would say that. And it's because he meant it. It's because it was him. It's yeah. because he is the greatest kid anybody has ever met. Uh, but, um, you know, if you're going to... Jason, if you're going to tell your team um, over and over and over, uh, it's not the destination, it's the journey. It's not the destination, it's the journey. It's don't look past, uh, past the next one. We're taking them one game at a time. Then I think you come away from that season with an unbelievable feeling of success. Uh, obviously, we didn't reach the goal we wanted. Uh, I will forever feel bad about it for the kids, for the, for the fans. And, but you know what? The, the journey was pretty impressive. And, uh, we didn't quite put the flag on the top of the mountain. And, you know, sometimes in life you got to learn to handle that too. Yeah. So it's a good lesson for life, right? And everything mm -hmm. isn't always winning championships. You have to go right. through the valleys too. Um, and listen, uh, to finish second among all the teams isn't the worst valley. It's, it's painful when you're when you're going through it, I'm sure. But when you look back, I'm sure that there's so many good things that you could look back on that 09 mm -hmm. team and, and remember. Um, let me finish with this. There's just a couple more questions. How hard was it for you to resign from Texas? How difficult was that? It was hard. Yeah. It, it was hard. It, it, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And, uh, you know, like I said, we were 18 years. Mac and I was together 18 years. And and so after the, the 10 season, we, we didn't play well. And, uh, and uh, you know, a lot of it was was my responsibility uh, that, you know, we had not played well enough on the offensive side of the ball. And so uh, I understand. I mean, that's – you work and, and don't quite get the national championship and you work sometimes and things don't work well. And, uh, so Mac basically told me, Hey, I, I, I need to go in another direction. Mm. And, uh, uh, so it was hard. I mean, it was real hard. It was, it was not only job, uh, it was friendship. Yep. It was 18 years. It was my state. Yeah. Um, it was uh, my family all lived in that state. And uh, um, so uh, it, it was it was hard. And 
But uh, I knew, I knew throughout it that okay, um, now's when they're going to look at you, Greg. Uh, yeah. You know, it's easy to go to the FCA conferences and things, and you win a national championship, or even you play for one and you don't get it, and and uh, you know it's easy to stand up there and say, you know, God's been good to me. Uh, I've been blessed. And uh, how are you going to handle this, big boy? Um, and so, uh, obviously, through prayer, and I said, God, you, please, you know, give me the, the words, use me as a vessel to, to continue to say, you know, it, I'm not defined by what happens on that 100-yard field. And... Um, Although it is a huge part of my life, um, it does not define me. And so, and I, you got to be able to act like that. And so, uh, so that's what I hope I did. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then, of course, we won't have a lot of time to talk about it, but you go to Iowa uh, and you had some success there as well on the back end of your career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you finish up and you retire January 6, 2017. Uh, from coaching football. So where we are now, this will be our final question, Greg, and, and really do appreciate all the time you've spent. What is what is the Lord teaching you during this season of life, this retirement season that, uh, as you said, on the very beginning of this podcast, every day is like Saturday, but what is God <laughs> teaching you? What has the Lord been teaching you right now? Well, it's um, just like the the uh, man up experience that you were a part of, uh, yeah. you know, I've had an opportunity now to to go to those because I, I have time to do that. Uh, I'm going to speak at one of those next year. That's great. Uh, so, so I've had opportunities uh, uh, that are have now been afforded to me, um, and. I really have had more time uh, to be in prayer, uh, to be in worship. Um, and, you know, the, the probably the biggest thing is that uh, I, I, I want to continue to... Uh, one of my great friends was a pastor in, when, I was in, when I was coaching at A&M. And... Um, he is retired now. And I used to always ask him, uh, Frank, how, how do I, what's the magic line? Well, where do you, and he said, you know, the, the book says let your light shine, Greg. Mm. It does not say blind him. And so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to walk every day where somebody says, hey, you know, this guy's there's something uh, he's real he's the real deal and uh that's and i just hope for many opportunities like this one uh that you offered me and uh, like rich green at uh compass has offered me and uh, for opportunities to to share how fortunate i have been uh, over the years yeah, this is this is first of all, thank you for saying that, Greg, and and certainly the the great folks at Compass Church in, in Colleyville are awesome, and uh, it was my honor to be there and, and get to meet you as well there. Um, but thank you so much for for sharing your story, your journey. Uh, you know, I always say if we're breathing, then we we still got 
we still got more to share and, and God's <laughs> called us to do that. And you got a lot more and this is so great. Uh, hopefully we can catch up again and, and uh, maybe even talk during the season, a little college football, but thank you so much for joining us uh, and for sharing your journey. And we wish you nothing but the best. Thank you, Jason. And I appreciate your walk too. Thank, thank you, you very much. Bye-bye. And we do thank Greg Davis, former Texas offensive coordinator, national championship offensive coordinator in 2005 from the University of Texas for joining us here on the Sports Spectrum podcast, full of stories, right? That's what you love when you talk to a guy like Coach Davis. I mean, you could, you could feel like you could just sit in the room for hours and listen to him tell some amazing stories. And we were grateful to, to have about an hour with him here on the podcast where he shared some, some great insights, some great wisdom and just some awesome stories during his time coaching. So we wish Greg Davis nothing but the best, and we thank him for joining us here on the podcast. And we also thank you for listening to the Sports Spectrum podcast. You can always reach us at Sports Spectrum on Twitter. You can always reach us at Sports underscore Spectrum on Twitter, and you can email me directly, Jason, at SportsSpectrum.com if you have any guest ideas or if you simply want to say something that you enjoyed about this episode of the podcast or any of our episodes. We're over 300,000 downloads now here on the podcast, just an incredible number that we never thought that we would ever reach uh, so quickly, I guess. But God is in the business of surprises, right? And he's surprising us every single time we release an episode and the impact that these stories and these interviews are making on the intersection of sports and faith. We also want to say thank you to our partners, Compassion International. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Sponsor a child today, $38. We're talking about one child at a time being impacted. 1.8 million children in 25 countries around the world are feeling the love, feeling the impact that's being had by Compassion International. This is your chance to go sponsor a child and make a gigantic impact in their life, providing them hope instead of despair, uh, providing them an opportunity to feel the love of Jesus, to have food and, and tutoring, education, the things that every child should have. This is your chance to make an impact. Go to Compassion.com slash SportsSpectrum, $38 a month. Sponsor a child today. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Sports Spectrum Podcast. We'll see you next time right here on Sports Spectrum. Have a great day.